Dear listeners, this is Elena Schulz-Gimeno. Welcome to a new episode of Ed Voices, the podcast by Education International. Did you know that there are thousands of refugee children who arrived in Germany since 2016? And have you ever wondered what schools those children go to, how they integrate into their learning communities and what role teachers play in their lives? I was on the phone with Nick Strauss, who coordinated a project that EI and his union, our affiliate GEW, carried out together in Bremerhaven, in the north of Germany, to cope with thousands of new arrivals and help those children integrate into their new schools. We hope you will enjoy this podcast, and if you do, don't forget to subscribe. We're on iTunes and SoundCloud. In a way, it was a bit of luck, really, because it was a couple of weekends before the end of term. I had a window of opportunity to write an application. Someone who'd come to one of the city executive meetings who said, this is a big problem, we have to do some work on it. I rang her up, said, well, we can get some money, we can get some resources, we can work on the issue without money and resources, but it's obviously easier if we have additional resources. And that's how the uh, application as such came about. Mm -hmm. What was interesting was that that was the summer of, of 2016. The build-up of increasing numbers of refugees and other and migrants in the school system had begun very much towards the end of 2014. It was a bit like a snowball that developed over time. So, for example, in my school, which is a fairly small comprehensive school in the inner city in Bremerhaven, and that's the northern part of Landbremen, we had our first class for newly arrived migrants and refugees in April 2015. So mm -hmm. before the, the autumn of 2015, there was hundreds of thousands of, of refugees not accepting that Europe was a fortress that wouldn't let them in, but actually continuously mobilizing to implement the right for asylum, which of course they should have, they should have had in the first place. There was two groups of people arriving over the last few years. There's a group of migrants, mostly from southeastern Europe, but also eastern Europe. And then, of course, there's the refugee communities arriving as well during that time. All told, about 12,000 refugees arrived in Bremen in 2015 in the whole state. And they were distributed roughly 80% in Bremen, city of Bremen, 20% in the city of Bremerhaven. In 2016, there have been continually high levels of refugees arriving. However, to a certain extent, it's by family reunion and also by the fact that refugees who'd arrived before late 2015, once they had their status agreed, were allowed to move within Germany. That's been stopped now, but up until a certain point, they were still allowed to move. So there's been a certain level of shifting within Germany as well. What does mm -hmm. that mean within the school systems then? As a whole, Bremen has a population of 670,000, maybe 680,000 now. Not a lot. Within the school system then, in the so-called preparatory classes, where newly arrived children arrived, 
there were almost 3,000 children in 2016, and in 2017, there's 2,600 children. So there's a slight reduction, but very slight. Now, not all of those children are refugees. In Bremen, the majority would be. In Bremerhaven, it's probably more 50-50. In terms of the needs of the children in school, though, we don't go to some children, you're refugees, you get this service. You're not refugees, you get another service. Um, but all newly arrived children in, in a city in, in Bremen get an offer in a um, preparatory course. There have been quite a few who have had to wait for these courses. That was over a 1,000 children last year in 2016. That's declined significantly this year. That's positive. It's still not at zero. We still think that every child should have a place in a school from day one, or at least from day two. Yeah, we, we want to be realistic. That's mm -hmm. still not done, but um, there has been an improvement there. And once they are in the school, can you maybe talk a bit about your own experience? The situation in general is extremely complex. Almost every school in Bremen and probably the majority of schools in Germany as a whole have had some refugee children arriving in the past couple of years. It's a generalized systemic challenge to the system and a challenge in the positive sense as well. Statistically, it was almost 10% new arrivals in Bremerhaven in 2016. That's a lot. And that, that number has continued at more than 5% last year as well. Um, I haven't done the statistical analysis. So in my school, for example, we had 380 children. Now we've got 450. We've had two extra classes put in. So instead of, no, three extra classes. Instead of 18 classes, we now have 21 classes. All the classes have grown slightly. Um, so instead of the normal size, which was 21 or 22, and that sounds quite small, but that's the result of the um, phasing out of special schools in Bremen. There's an inclusive school system, and so the kids that previously were in special needs schools are now in, in mainstream comprehensive schools, bringing their special needs teachers with them, at least that's the theory, and reducing the class sizes of all the classes because there's additional resources coming. Anyway, so at my work then it's probably a greater increase in terms of students than a lot of other schools but there's other schools that I can think of that have also had that type of significant increase of well over 10% newly arrived children. Now some of the children particularly where we are for example come from Greece or Bulgaria or um, south, uh, southwestern Balkans so Kosovo, Albania, Serbia and they bring with them a range of other needs. And then there's also the more traditional refugee children who bring a range of other needs. These children come together in the, in the preparatory classes. Now, there's different systems in, in the state of Bremen. It depends a lot whether or not there's spaces in the, in the normal classes. If there's spaces in the normal classes, then what happens is a child will be allocated to a normal class, will do some uh, lessons with that normal class, with the mainstream class, for example, sport, woodwork, 
things that you can do more or less with very limited language. And, um, and then they get pulled out of more language-intensive things, for example, German, politics, history. In those lessons, in this case, about 20 lessons a week, they'd be given intensive help with German in relatively small groups over a year. Um, in primary schools, it works a bit differently, but that's, that's the general model. Now, what's tended to happen more and more is that there hasn't been any space for the children. In fact, um, in where we live, there was over 1,000 children waiting for a school place in a city of a bit over 100,000. It's a massive collapse of the education system that wasn't able to provide them with a school place. In order to provide a minimum of education, uh, the city government increased the capacity of the classes by 25%. We're very critical of that, even though we know there wasn't really much alternative. We want to see the classes return to normal size as quickly as possible. And instead of the kids being integrated immediately into classes, they went into these preparatory classes where they'd have German lessons, maybe a bit of maths, a bit of English, but a fairly limited offer of German. Would you say that teachers were prepared for those new arrangements? or The thing was that um, we had to employ new teachers. So not only were the kids coming new to the system, but m most of the teachers in these preparatory classes were also new. They were, particularly in the city of Bremen, disproportionately outsourced. So they were even within the main part of the education system. They were overwhelmingly new in their careers. They were often paid less than normal teachers, either because they were outsourced or also because if they didn't have the normal qualification profile of a German teacher, then they wouldn't be paid the same. Or if they didn't have an EU passport, they couldn't be verbeamtet is a term. You make a little pledge of allegiance to the German state and uh, you get turned into a so-called beamter and beamten get paid more than normal workers more in terms of what they get at the end of the month at least. Yeah. I think there was a certain level of improvisation and there's very little slack in the system um, beforehand that would allow the system to cope with such a significant group of new students. And the system was at the edge of its capacity. Mm -hmm. I don't say that's a reason for getting rid of the right of asylum. It would have been much better if we'd been had proper investment in the education system over the last couple of decades so that the education system would have been able to have coped with realistic challenges like what they had. Okay. But, um, and, and, and is this where the project with Education International comes in then? Is this well, the situation? I mean, because when you when you when you mentioned before the process where how you how GW and and GW Bremerhaven especially got into this project with Education International, you said that you mentioned to to one of your colleagues that there was the need for such a project. So, yeah, so does if, this if tie we look into... at the summer of 2016, what we're doing as a state branch, and it's important, it's um the the project actually came from GW Bremen, yeah, the state branch. There's two city branches, and I live in Bremerhaven, but actually um, the hope was that the, a lot of the problems were in, in Bremen City as much as in Bremerhaven, and we're trying to do stuff in both cities. Anyway, you've got this um, developing uh, complex of issues that we as a union are trying to deal with. One of the issues is 
the right of to go to school, yeah, which was being uh, put in question because the places weren't being provided for kids. One of the issues was the right of education workers to work for the government in the public sector, which is normally a sort of, it's a Selbstverständlichkeit in German. It's so obvious that you have a public education system where staff aren't outsourced and you had a massive increase in outsourcing, particularly in the city of Bremen, that the state government was using in order, on the one hand, to employ teachers that they wouldn't normally want to employ because they weren't so-called fully qualified, but also because they said, oh, we don't know if we're going to need these people in two years, so we're just going to employ them through our outsourcing company and everything will be okay. And so, and then also, of course, the colleagues in the schools, including myself, including a lot of the people in the executives, um, are also under increasing stress because we're trying to support new members of staff, we're dealing with increasing numbers of new children in classes that didn't have the initial uh, preparatory class children in them. After six months or nine months or a year, the children come through these preparatory courses into the mainstream classes. Um, as an English teacher, that's often a real bonus because the kids often can speak quite good English in the first place, or they've just learned German as their third language. For example, doing English is another one. It's no problem, yeah? Mm -hmm. They're quite often quite bright and bubbly, and also I've seen from personal experience why um, English is an important language to learn. However, for a lot of other teachers, it's, it's uh, a significant challenge. And particularly what you had was because the migrant communities, once they were allowed to choose where they lived, had to choose accommodation that was relatively cheap because otherwise it wouldn't be covered by um, the German housing benefit system. Then there was a concentration of uh, migrant and refugee families in working class suburbs. And so there was a a significant concentration of where these children would end up going, particularly if they had any choice in the factor. So that schools that were already facing a range of challenges in terms of class, ethnicity, structural disadvantage, were also then faced with this additional challenge of a significant number of newly arrived children in a situation where the resourcing for this newly arrived group of children was a bit... Um, bit average, to say the least. And uh -huh. I can give you an example of that. A normal um, secondary class in in my town would have an allocation. It's it's in terms of teacher teacher lessons, yeah. And a normal class would have have an allocation of forty four teacher lessons because there'd be a um, an allowance for the special needs of the class. There'd be an allowance for French or Spanish, so the second foreign language. And um, a normal preparatory course, um, which is a little bit smaller than these classes, but not a lot, 20 kids as opposed to 22, gets only 30 lessons. No allowance for special needs. And so you've got newly, um, uh, newly employed, new-to-the-profession teachers teaching kids who are traumatized with significantly reduced resources compared to the other classes. The other classes are finding it quite challenging as well. 
it's an obviously it's a huge challenge then for the education system and also for the union because we yes. want to we want to get these people to join the union. We want to support them in their workplace. We want to try and get their jobs brought back in house, and we want to make sure that the education system doesn't collapse. And of course, we want to make sure that the um, support in the society for um, recognizing basic human rights to asylum get kept. And that's particularly important in Germany because, of course, people forget. But it's only um, 80, 85 years ago that hundreds of hundreds of thousands of people from Germany were having to leave, having to apply for asylum. And unfortunately, many of the right-wing press in, in other countries at that time were also saying, ah, they're just putting it on. There's no reason to leave Germany. Hitler's a nice geezer. What's the problem? I mean, I've read the Daily Mail from before in the late late 1930s. It's amazing. What they said about refugees from Germany then is what they said about refugees in the last couple of decades. They have okay. no shame. Um, and so, but in that context then, there's also the... Um, broader um, political responsibility of the union to make sure that the education system works and works mm -hmm. in terms of integrating newly arrived children, young people and their families. If you could highlight the three most important points of this project with Education International, yeah. what would they be? We've been trying to work in two fields and we've been trying to work in two types of ways. The two fields have been firstly looking at the quality of education for the young people and that's for example do they get an education, what's it like when they get into schools, what's it like in terms of moving on from the preparatory courses to the mainstream classes, what type of support do they get. For example the British model of section 11 funding for migrant kids could be quite positive. It's not in existence in Germany now. Then we were also looking at what are the working conditions like for our members? What are the working conditions like for people who aren't our members? How do we get people to organize so that they then get better conditions? And of course, through well-organized teachers, through well-organized education workers, we can then do work to make sure that the quality of education for the young people is also significantly improved. And that was the... Uh, double entendre of the uh, project title, Teachers Organizing for Quality uh, Education for Refugees and Migrants. Organizing teachers is the basis for then organizing to get decent education. In terms of what we did then within these two fields of work, a lot of what we did was to try to document what the hell was going on. Because you had this quite significant sea change or significant swell within the education system. I wouldn't say actually it was a sea change because, of course, Germany is already a very multicultural place. Yeah? And particularly in inner city comprehensives, they're like inner cities around the world. You know, you go to a school, there's 30 or 40 languages spoken, children from 50, 60, 70 countries. The type of challenges that people see in a lot of big cities in Europe, certainly, and also in, in the rest of the um, developed world, so, so, so to say. On the one hand, we're trying to document what was going on. And then simultaneously, we're trying to support staff taking action to aid around their working conditions and also in terms of quality of education that they're providing. And what's quite interesting was that there was a level of quite a high level of staff self-organization 
around quality of education provision so that, for example, in Bremen, staff organised with the support of the, the city government there, um, ongoing training for each other um, because there was so little being provided centrally and they then had to autonomously organise that. That's one of the areas what where... Of, what type of training uh, did they did they organise? Um, one of the interesting things was a lot of the teachers who got employed, for example, weren't, weren't trained as... Um, as primary school teachers or secondary teachers, but as, for example, sixth form teachers. And so one of the things they had to do was using their educational background in terms of educational theory, they had to break that down to say, right, what's the basics around acquisition of a second language? How, how do we teach that? How do we teach that to very um, heterogeneous groups where some kids have gone to private schools in, in Damascus, bilingual private schools, and some children have been working in the agricultural sector most of the time, maybe going to primary school occasionally in some part of northwestern Syria in Rojava, for example. So staff who previously were being trained to do one thing had to learn to teach in new ways and in different ways. So that was one of the challenges that they had. How did the project then help them develop these new strategies? You said that there was a lot of peer-to-peer -peer help. To a certain extent, the, the project then documented that that was happening and let people get on with it because with the amount of resources that we had, we had to focus on what can we actually achieve. And the documentation of a massive swelling of activity within the education system is also quite a big task. Yeah, because we're not talking about one or two schools with one or two classes, but we're talking about two and a half thousand children, new children every year coming through these preparatory courses in a place like Bremen, which is quite small. And so th there were some areas, though, that weren't as well covered. So, for example, we've run workshops on looking at trauma and um, newly arrived children. That's been um, quite useful for some members of staff, although the pity is, of course, that what you can do in a day is only a, a start and what's really needed is the type of um, support on emotional and psychological level for children that people need to do who've been trained over a number of years. It's a bit casual to say, oh, you do a day's course and then you can sort it out. But still, yeah, still. It's, it's, a, it's at least a start in terms of um, letting people know that there's, there's issues there. And then the other thing that we've done is through our fractions of our members who are in the staff representative bodies, we've assisted the staff in organising and putting their demands to the state government and to the city governments. And that's what's interesting in the German um, industrial relations system, which people probably know a bit about, but the unions exist and are independent and the official uh, consultative bodies that the governments have is with the so-called works councils, Betriebsräte, or in the case of public sector, Personalräte, and they have elections for the works councils in education every four years. In Bremen, at least, the GEV wins those elections with an embarrassingly large majority. It's sort of, if we don't get more than 70 or 75% of the vote, people think that we've lost. So we basically run those consultative bodies, and then those consultative bodies are what we can then use, for example, to have staff meetings where people get time in work time to talk about 
what the issues are. That has a certain strength in terms of people can take a morning off to talk about the problems, but they do it within this social contract structure that also then means that they can't immediately go into going on strike, for example. That's what the unions would have to do, and within a um, so-called tariff structure that there is in Germany, which is also fairly um, bureaucratic. Our members in these uh, works councils have been able to, over a number of times, meet with the staff, get their demands together, and one of the successes that we had was in the summer we've had dozens of staff brought back in-house from the outsourcing company back into public sector employment. And that means significant improvements, particularly in terms of pensions for those staff. That's a success. And we've been promised that at the end of the next school year, another group of people will be brought over. Do, do you think that globally the project has had positive effects? It's a bit difficult to know because, of course, assisting around about a million people who come to your country who need support over a number of years is an ongoing process. And in a way, we've come to the end of the beginning and we're now maybe beginning the middle part of this process. I think we're in a strong position in order to be able to deal with issues as they come up. We've gotten an, a much better network with workers in the field. We've increased our membership, for example, in the outsourcing company by almost um, 50% in the past year. That was one of our aims and that's what we've managed to achieve. That's not just due to the project, that's also because our members in the Works Council there, where they also got elected, have been doing excellent work. Yeah, but all the same, it's a, it's a result that we're really pleased with. I think the important thing at the moment is that we're still able to respond. One of the dangers is, if the challenge is too great for an organisation and for an education system, that they're no longer able to take the action so that we can respond effectively to problems and instead we just roll up in a ball like a hedgehog in the middle of the road, you'd get run over. Yeah, And we have to be able to take action as necessary, talk about the problems that exist, make sure that the government still listens to us even when they don't want to, even when they say, oh, we've sorted out the problem. Clearly the problem in terms of uh, education for refugee and migrant children hasn't been sorted out because The numbers are still significant. They've only dropped by a few percent from year on year. And also, once the kids come into the mainstream classes, they need an ongoing um, support structure, and that support structure hasn't been addressed. And that's one of the problems in Bremen. If you compare Bremen as a city education system with Berlin and Hamburg, yeah, in Hamburg they spend 2,000 euros per child more than in Bremen. That's about 30% more per child. It's no wonder that we've got big problems here because we just don't put in the money. At the end of the day, it's all very well for Germany to have this federal education system, but if parts of the federal system don't have enough money to provide a quality education for all the children, then the German constitution that talks about equal living standards across the country as being one of the aims of the, the national government isn't being kept up. That's one of the issues where we have to keep on battering away because unless significant additional resources come, we've gotten through the first phase of teaching the kids basic German, but if we're going to make sure that the education system equips all our young people properly for the future, then we need to put in additional resources.
I'm sure that the German unions and the GEWE, especially in your region, with such a large arrival of migrant children who, as you said, deserve quality education just like the rest, is going to be active and engaged and uh, making space and providing this quality education to all newly arrived children. We'll do our best.